My name is Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome home to your Boo Crew episode 341. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. If you're in your car, or maybe you've downloaded this and you're checking in from an airplane even, however you were tuning in, hope you're having a great day and you're off to do something fun. And let's face it, your love of the horror genre makes everything fun. Even at the end of a shitty day, we all look forward to getting back home and watching a new movie or finding that perfect place for that new Halloween decoration you got or that collectible you picked up at the latest convention. Filmmaker and friend of the show, William Brent Bell, joins you in that passion. He is such an extraordinary talent and the nicest guy in the world. We always light up when we see him. He's always taken such bold risks by breaking the rules and embracing creativity in all of his work. He is the one who brought us the cult hit Stay Alive, The Boy, Where, The Devil Inside, Separation, and so much more. He returns with a new project that is a loving testament to the imagination. A prequel to the 2009 shocker Orphan. It's Orphan First Kill, out now in theaters, VOD, and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You're going to get a sneak peek behind the curtain of what is a monumental cinematic magic trick, really. Crafting the experience of Isabel Furman reprising her original role of Esther some 13 years later, playing an even younger version of the character and herself. Hear about the practical illusions and effects and techniques implemented and developed to pull this off to a dazzling degree. You're really not going to believe your eyes. We go into everything from the set design, music and artwork, to elements that were added to the script during production, to wrap even more twists and turns into this out-of-control, delightful terror. Then, William gives you the scoop on his upcoming folk horror flick, Lord of Misrule, that you're going to be obsessed with seeing after you hear what he has to say. I know we are. We get to the bottom of Alice Krieg's missing scenes from Stay Alive and the R-rated revisit to that world that he has in mind. The boy trilogy ideas and so much more. Gotta warn you, there are some mild spoilers for Orphan First Kill. So if you want to see that movie before coming back, now's your chance. If that doesn't bother you, dive in with us to episode 341 with the absolutely wonderful William Brent Bell. It is now slaying. This is William Brent Bell, and you're about to slice into another terrifying episode of The Boo Crew. What is he doing here? We found your daughter. She's alive. Be prepared for changes. We have a child therapist that she'll be working with. Four years is a long time. What she needs right now is our family. Mister? Sweetheart. It's mommy. Welcome home, Esther. We left it just as it was. It's lovely to be back. I miss my family very much. Bargoldier is helping Esther acclimate back into life within the family unit. Sorry. I think something's going on with Esther. Is there any 
anything you want to tell me about your time away? How is that possible? Four years ago, she was still drawing stick figures. Esther's behavior has been so erratic. Hello, Mommy. Thank you, Mommy. I know, Mommy. I did notice some inconsistencies. What are you getting at? To me, it felt like a performance. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio is a returning guest of the show and one of the most daring and exciting filmmakers in the genre. After his very first feature, Sparkle and Charm, in 97, he arrived onto the horror scene with a resounding explosion of what has become his trademark of inventiveness and imagination with the revered cult classic Stay Alive in 2006, produced alongside Mick G and Disney. It is a film that continues to be talked about and discovered to this very day. Then came 2012's The Devil Inside that was so successful that it almost single-handedly rewrote the book of how and when horror movies were released to the cinema and remains as a practically historic event in the growth and celebration of the entire genre, having a lot to do with the horror renaissance that we are now in. He went on to craft Where in 2013, a refreshing and original take on werewolf films. Its DNA continues to be felt in movies made since. His The Boy franchise, consisting of two films, are haunting masterpieces, injecting really unique gothic undertones into modern horror with thrilling twists that have become a part of pop culture. Finally, over the pandemic, he crept into our nightmares with an entire new world of fascinating characters called the Grizzly Kin and an eerie family drama that was innovative and beautiful in separation. He makes films that people talk about. He makes films that break the rules and carve possibilities. His latest is a perfect testament to that. It's the prequel to 2009's award-winning Orphan that followed the story of nine-year-old Esther, a couple's adopted child who might not be as innocent as she appears. This new adventure follows a previous family who took her in. It stars Julia Stiles, Rosa Sutherland, and returning as Esther, the incredible Isabel Furman. Bloody Disgusting's own John Squires refers to it as a 90-minute magic trick. Orphan first kills in theaters, digital, and streaming on Paramount Plus. August 19th, we are honored to Welcome back. It's director William Brent Bell. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Of course, it's man. Always, you know, it's always amazing to hear you talk about. <laughs> Dude, wow. yeah, you're an easy guy yeah. to talk about, I'll tell you, man. Yeah. Wow. And it, it's such a treat to have you back it's, seemingly so soon, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's just nice to be back in face to face. Yes. Yeah. You know? Hell um, yeah. It's been too long and we've, you know, it's I've been I've made two movies mm-hmm. during all this, but it's it's still just, you know, it's like I've been itching to kind of get out there. And so it's so nice that we're on the back end of all that it sure and is. starting yeah. to open up and feel like regular people again. Yep. Enjoy yep. the things <laughs> we like to enjoy. Definitely. <laughs> You know, you hear about when a new movie comes out, sometimes uh, the post-production process can take up till sometimes a week before release. Uh, this this current movie, whereabouts uh, were you at like a week or two ago? How, how close to the release are you pushing this? Thing? With Orphan First Kill. Yeah. No, th- that's the thing. Orphan First Kill is different because of COVID and the changes in the industry and the changes of release schedules and politics. Like, we... When, when Paramount really came on board, I think it was like October, November, okay. that 
like we locked everything. Wow. And, and so I was nice. prepping Lord of Misrule, the one I did in London, and signing off on just some final color tweaks while I was there. And and then it was like, okay, great. Like we're done. And and then and completely done. You know, no and we just waited and that next week the president of Paramount changed completely. And so a whole new regime came in and then it was, they wanted to look at things differently. So we're like, okay, what's going to happen? And then we gained momentum again for, to find our release date. And then everything changed again at Paramount with Paramount players. And it was like, what's going to happen? Is the movie going to get lost in the shuffle in some yeah. way? You know, like we talk like with Batgirl or something like, just like new regimes come and they want to do something different. Right. And, um, and then, I was back in London doing post on the new movie and it, you know, six weeks ago, two months ago. And it was like, they're ready. Like we're going August, you know, 19th. <laughs> and it was like, so all of a sudden posters are coming in and. Oh my gosh. So during this time, just to rewind a little bit. So you've been working on a whole other film. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, in, I'm literally locking, um, well, locking picture and finalizing the score and, um, and the color next week, oh, you know, man. and then it's going to be, you know, done. Um, sometimes, you know, it's like, like in most of these movies, you make them and, um, and we don't, even with like, with Orphan, First Kill, like we didn't have a, you know, a d domestic distributor. Yeah. And, um, cause they, you know, took it away from Warner Brothers and, and so with this one, we don't. So it's like a lot of times when you get that distributor, maybe you'll crack the movie open again. Maybe you won't. It just depends. But um, I'm treating it as if we're not, you know. Yeah, it's like it's going to be soon that you guys will see it. Oh my God! Well, well yeah. to, to not, not not to you know uh, go yeah. into it too much, but what's the brief overview? Are you allowed to say anything about it? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's called Lord of Misrule, and it's like a pagan horror film about that's set in the small village, modern day, but it feels like it's a throwback, oh. and and it follows a female uh, reverend. And her family, they're new to the town and the town celebrates their pagan history with this, you know, yearly festival. And it's pretty crazy, you know, the imagery of this thing. And uh, their daughter goes missing at this festival. She's taken. And so then the mother, her name, Tuppence Middleton plays her. She's amazing. She uh, tries to find out what happened to her daughter and realizes that these people are not, you know, they believe their pagan history a little more than she thought. Sure, sure. And, um, and they kind of pray to this God called Galagog. And then, uh, her main nemesis, if you will, in the movie is, um, Ralph Einson from the oh, witch. Oh, oh my yeah. God. And, With um, that voice. Uh, right. <laughs> we, we did a temp trailer for it <laughs> and I'll show you guys. Oh yeah, please. Um, and it was right when we first finished shooting, but usually, you know, you do a trailer and you're using, actors voices from different scenes or you have a guy doing the trailer voice yeah yeah well it's just him doing scenes you're like it sounds like a trailer <laughs> yeah, guy yeah yeah it's incredible and it's it's the most you know it's a such a well-rounded character from top to, you don't get like in the witch you know he's in that movie beginning to end yeah, he right. goes through so many things this character is like that i mean oh. it's it's uh it's it's a you know it's a it's nuts. I can't intense. wait. So, I can't not wait. Yeah. That's great. That's Very awesome. excited. Yeah. Very excited. All right. Well, we'll we'll get back to Orphan First Kill. So, 
We were talking a little bit before this, so initial reviews are pouring in for this thing, and uh, I mean, we are right there with them. We, I've seen them multiple times. So it was Leo. Yep. And some of these, I've, I've, some of these are the funnest horror movie of the year, one of the most insane prequels in history, a weird, campy, absolute blast of a film, a bloody and smart camp masterpiece. How does that feel to hear that at this point, and and also how does it inspire you? I love it. I mean, because this movie is so unique. In that the decisions to make it after all this time, decisions to a lot of people gambled a lot to to and and to bring Isabel into the movie. Sure, and Isabel risked the most, you know, and uh, and it was so much for. And I'm a fan of the original. It's was for the fans, you know, like making a movie that's kind of a love letter to Esther to some degree, and that's also. Something that like, you know, whether a fan ends up liking it or not, because they might have a certain thing they liked about the original that doesn't exist in this or who knows. It's like, I hope they appreciate it for the fact that it's just not, you know, it was done with such love. Mm -hmm. And um, and then the fact that it is such a I mean, I I tell friends of mine before even like the reviews who were going to see it. I was like, it's a little bit of a different tone than the original. And, and you know, I was creating my director's statement, and I have to do, which is kind of, you know, a, a paragraph mm-hmm. about how excited I am about the movie and stuff like that. And I was writing it, and um, and it was a little different than some. Sometimes they're very insightful or very, a little more uh, serious. And in this case, I was like, ah, you know, this is, you know, I'm, I approach it as a fan, you know, this statement. And... I showed my girlfriend and I was like, here I'm like, what is it? I hope that fans delight in this movie as much as we delighted in making it. And she was like, you're not going to say delight, right? And I was like, well, what do you mean? She goes, you're not going to say that. You never would have said that. I was like, well, I was kind of going to say it. And so I was like, all right, I'll just say enjoy. And now I've seen, you know, like the reviews and I'm like, yeah, I said, was going to say delight because like those delicious delight, like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's the... Those are the adjectives you know you use to describe a lot of what this movie is, right. and um, so it's been really rewarding to both see people reacting that way, and it's. I knew there was going to be you know, there's a fine line between love and hate, and indecision is the opposite of love, right? Not, and I want people to feel and when they see these movies and this one in particular, and it's like, of course she doesn't look exactly like she looked in the original, you know. But, like, we know the Superman can't fly. Like, there's a million things, yeah, right? Exactly. Right. But isn't it amazing to have her back in the role? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a very, it's a layup critique of the movie to maybe think something negative about her being in it. But it's like, come on. Like, take a step back and think about the big picture of how cool this is. And she's so great in it. And everybody, you know, around her. So, it's just great that people are getting it for what it is. Mm-hmm. You know? And, yeah. they, and they really are. And, um... So, I, yeah, I don't think anything like this has ever been done no, before. No, which makes yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I was just, I was just thinking, you know, in, in bringing back Isabel, I mean, with all the creativity your team had to put together with, with the makeup department and um, you know camera angles, DP work, and you know maybe visual effects and body doubles, maybe. What was that moment? Did you guys test? Did you, what was that moment when you realized, man, we're going to pull this off? This is going to work. You know, um, I kind of have blind optimism and that stuff. Like I felt like it was going to work the whole time. 
And I even in, in preparing for press stuff, I was looking back at old emails and seeing like the first time I was like, guys, you know, let's try this. But um, for me, going into making the movie, it wasn't at all. Well, let me start over. It was like they gave me the script and I and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely read it as a fan because I that's this will be great to see what you did with it. I go, but there's no way I'm probably going to be interested in doing it because you have so much to live up to. And you have, you know, such a great twist in the first film. And then, man, how do you replace Isabel Furman? Right. You know, but let me read it. And then I read it and I was like, wow, this is amazing. It's so fresh and has a great twist. And. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm in now, you know, what are we going to do about <laughs> Esther? <laughs> but still we were dealing with script stuff. So, yeah. Um, so it could have been, as far as you're concerned, they'll do a, a worldwide search, find someone who looks like Esther did and yeah, oh, oh, did, wow. you did that. We did that. Yeah. In, in concert with her. So, so right when the movie was announced, she, um, contacted me on Instagram and, and was like, oh, I'm so excited you guys are doing the movie. And I was doing a screening that night and I was like, come to the screening, you know? And then she showed up and she looks the same, just a little bigger. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. And then she expressed to me like, this is my character. I created it. I own it. I want to play it for like, that's, I don't want to not like, I want to, I want to play Esther. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Because if she hadn't wanted to play, you know, like, yeah. It and that, trying to talk her into it, oh, it would have been awful for her if just because she never second guessed it ever. Right. And then we met the next night again for for dinner and really talked through it. And then that week, I kind of presented it to everybody, and everybody was like, "We would love that idea." And but we were talking about her being a cameo, like the Anna, the doctor in the opening of the movie, probably sure. been who who she would have been. Yeah, yeah, Even yeah. She yeah. kind of thought that. And so then I was like, and I, you know, I've done a lot of, I know a lot of great collaborators in town and with where, you know, we made him feel like he was seven feet tall when he was only six feet tall. So I was like, it's the same kind of ideas. And, um, and just started working up different ways to approach it that weren't Irish man, full on Benjamin button, you know, kind of things, which yeah. never was going to happen. Yeah. And, um, and that took about a year. And, and so we were casting parallel to that and um and there was one point about three months into it where i had this whole kind of thing presented to them and and then they sent it off to get it budgeted and they came back and they were like we're not going to do it so we got to go with a kid and um and then covid hit and it stopped everything and so in that time and then I had like my kind of crew, I was able to get everybody really on board with trying to find, um, to do more tests. So we did a photo, a photography test in Canada, I mean, all remotely, but, um, to take a, a woman who was like 33 and we aged her down with lighting and just some very simple techniques, no Photoshop, nothing digital, uh, and made her look like she was about 16, 14. And then everybody was, was like, like uh, glamour lighting. Yeah. It's like glamour. Yeah. It's yeah. like old world, like. Like old Hollywood like madams, pinup pin uh, girls, kind of. Sure. Yeah. And like, it, there were there were famous Hollywood madams who would walk around with a mirror, and if the DP put the camera too low, shooting up at them. Like you never shoot up the nose of a 
of a woman in a movie. Yeah. And um, it's very unflattering. We all know that from when we open up our phone right. and you're like, oh, that's awful. <laughs> and then all the great pictures, you put the camera high and you yeah. angle it down and everybody looks great. It's the same concepts, you know, and it's been around forever. And uh, so we would use a different lighting setup, a softer light, a, you know, the whole look of the movie had a kind of an old world or old Hollywood. What is it called? Not the truth about Baby Jane. I knew it a moment ago. Anyway, <laughs> Betty Davis. And then, and then like kind of, you know, utilizing Lord of the Rings style force perspective yeah. concepts. Yeah. And, um, and I, we were talking about it earlier. We did a full three, 3D scan of her face. We created a flesh mask. That The idea was to put it on body doubles and wide shots. And that didn't work. And when we did the, te- then we did a full, we did a full camera test where we shot like a teaser to the movie. And, um, it was the first time she put on the outfit in 10 years or more. And, and then we had a body double for that and, and her, and she's on her knees all day. And it was like, yeah, we can't, that's not going to work for an entire film. And so we created this mechanism where she could, move around that was half wheelchair half oh interesting like, but then but the thing is it was like i stopped using it to the first day because it was just it so she had to would have to learn to walk in this thing oh and so during lunch she would be like hey come and look and these guys would be tra- you know, trolling her around on this esther mobile or whatever and then she'd be doing this and and then trying to eat lunch go hmm and and eventually it was just like, and then we were building platforms for actors, you know, to walk and she would be normal. They'd be up on platforms, right. but that takes a lot of time. And I had used like Gene Simmons boots and wear. <laughs> and so in wide shots or in shots where we wouldn't see his feet, I'd put him in platform boots. Yeah. And so he'd be taller than everybody else and could move freely. And so, and I think Julie was like, I, I don't want to, you know, wear platform boots and like film a movie. Or Gene Simmons boots. Yeah. <laughs> and after a few days, it was like, we got the whole cast, Gene Simmons boots. And I mean like sparkly, tasselly, really? hilarious. <laughs> like if dis- you saw them from the, <laughs> yeah. from the ground up. Maybe they're all these incredible like, bejeweled boots. Rave like boots. Wow. Like that's awesome. Eight inch, you know, <laughs> platforms. And it just allowed the actors, once they bought into it, just like buying into her being in the movie, everybody could move freely and, and you know, um, just act. And it just made it like, okay, sometimes the, you know, sometimes the simplest solution is the best solution. And it was like, put everybody in Gene Simmons boots. Wow. <laughs> so is this, so that's how, cause to me, there's two, two challenges, right? Yeah. There's, there's her interacting with adult actors, right? Yeah. Having to appear yeah. like a child and then her interacting with props, like driving a car. Sure. Yeah. How they did with the, how you did it with the actors was platforms yeah. almost all the time. What about some yeah. of those distance shots where uh, Julia uh, Stiles' character is like walking with her hand in hand, like uh, when they arrive at the airport, for instance, and you see them both together walking hand in hand? In in a shot like that, it's like when we're behind them, it's a body double. Uh-huh. You know, so it's a little girl yeah. that we're seeing from behind. And when we're leading them, um, Julia was up on a platform. And, and so we're using forced perspective. So it's not just that she's on a platform taller, but as they walk, 
she has to be two steps behind her. Yes. And so when they turn to like, it's literally an illusion. Yeah. Wow. And so the hard part about it is they have to pretend they're looking at each other. Yeah. When they're talking, when in actuality, they're both looking at the wall, you know, because they're they're two feet apart. And uh, and they were great with that stuff. And then if you go in on the tighter shots, it's easier for them to be closer together. But in the wider shots, it's like uh, and it's so simple, right? I mean, it's just. Yeah. But it sounds like even the most arbitrary, regular shot from any movie, two people walking beside each other becomes this whole production. It yeah. might, like, was oh, yeah. it a nightmare? Like, was everything taking like one simple shot requiring, you know, nine or 12 different angles? Yeah. I mean, it was it was interesting because I think uh, some people kind of on the crew early on were in denial that it was so different. Yeah. That it's like if she's in a chair. Well, you just can't make the chair lower and she looks lower because the back of the chair has to be as high as everybody else's or yeah, it'll look right. like a miniature chair. Yeah. And she has to have a plate that's a certain way. And, you know, in a car, if the camera's pointing at both of them sitting in the front seat of a car, well, it can't look like the two chairs are different heights. Yeah. But we have to put one lower and we have to have her kind of crouch down. Um, and then Julia has to be up on something and higher. And then we push Isabel back as far as we can. So she's really almost sitting in the back seat. And then we bring Julia up closer to camera and then they drive and pretend like they're talking oh, to each other. But wild. really they're just, it's a total that is magic. Trip. What about, uh, I wanted to ask yeah. this, sorry to interrupt, but it's just on my mind in Miss Seeger's office. Yeah. I swear there's a shot where you actually see a distance reflection through a mirror of a, kid esther in uh, like uh, like a mirrored reflection in the mirror you see the kid <laughs> you know yeah. you see her as a child yeah. and up close you see you know you see the full-on how did you do that do you know what scene i'm talking about oh yeah the um <laughs> well that would that was a nightmare because like that was the first day of shooting and the idea was there would be a you know a a mirror in the doctor's office um so that you could you know parents could watch their child with the psychologist and when we got there, the it was really cool looking, but the production designer had built a floor to ceiling mirror on both sides of the room. So wherever you put the camera, you were looking at the camera and then you were seeing these concentric, you know, these these infinite uh, reflections, yeah. which was very cool. But it could mess ended, up the whole illusion. Well, it, yeah, it just made it it made it trickier. So, yeah, we would have to use the body double and her in the same shot sometimes, wow. depending on what the reflection was seeing, you know, Um. It was, I mean, every, every, I remember when we shot a scene of mom and dad walking and talking like the fourth day, I was like, oh my God, like, it's just, <laughs> you know, hey, this time you get, could you do this? It wasn't yelling at, you know, at, at every department of like, wait a minute, she's needs to be shorter, but she has to be further from camera. Wait, she needs a different size coffee mug, you know, like in this shot, the little girl's holding the, you know, the, the wine glass. Now we see. Her holding the wine glass in a close-up, but it can't be the same wine glass because her head's a lot bigger than the little girl's. Yeah. So we have to give her a bigger wine glass. You know, it, it, it but it was never um, frustrating. It was just a challenge, you yeah. know, which everybody involved, like when I first brought it up to Kareem Hussein, the DP, who's brilliant, and we had been working on the movie already and then COVID hit and we kind of paused and had some time and we still kept working every morning, like for three hours. He was in Toronto and I was here. Um, 
And then I was like, okay, I have an idea. What do you think about, you know, Isabel playing Esther? And we never talked about it. And he was like, okay. He's like, well, first of all, that'd be fucking awesome. He goes, <laughs> as a, he's like a horror guy. Yeah. yeah. yeah he's yeah. like, if we can do that. And he's like, and I'm on board with like, let's do that. And I asked Doug Morrow, our makeup artist, who was at that point signed on. And, uh, but he was up in Canada and, and I was, I asked him, so what do you think? And he thought, and, and was like, and, and that was the cool thing about it is like everybody who was involved, certainly the early parts of this, um, were like, that's why we do this, you know, is to <laughs> crack that <laughs> yeah, egg and figure yeah. out like, how can we do it? Yeah. You know? Because it never would have happened if we would have just said, sure, put a green screen uh, hood on a double and we'll replace her head and all this stuff. Yeah. Not only would it, I don't think it really is there yet to work, but I mean, for actors and the freedom of being able to do whatever we want in a scene, you know, it completely screws that up. And But it's also, she's a very nuanced character where she, her performance is in her face, in her eyes, and yeah. in her very, you know, exp- her expressionless, you know, evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What like, is she thinking? Like a shark, you know? like right. Jaws. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you can't, it's, it's hard to fake that one, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it just it just would have been a very awkward, um, and I know the way that goes down is, is she's doing uh, dialogue off camera, never on camera, because it's a kid with a green screen hood on Mm -hmm. then after a week or so she's like do i have to really come in can i just record this later not to her you know like i i I would expect her to feel that way after a while because she's never on camera yeah except we'll probably record her face later i mean there's a lot to that that's um if we can you know the more we can make it real and uh and i and i would say too what i you know they actually i'm gonna say that I love working with kids. So, um, but it's very difficult working with kids and animals. Sure. Yeah. yeah. That's because what they you, say. You get four hours a day mm-hmm. with a child. And whereas you could have 12 hours a day with a, an adult and a child can't do as much of the intense stuff, perhaps. So we're still going to be using body doubles anyway. You know, um, even if you're working with a kid, you're constantly using doubles. So it was similar. And but what I realized when I talked to um, Julia about it the first time, and I said, listen, we're, Isabel's going to come back and play the, the role. And she's like, thank God I didn't know how I was going to act this against a child for a whole movie. Oh, you know, and she was ready to. Yeah. But and even, you know, the, the, the kids that were the girls that were going to do the part. Um, one of them was like, Brent, I don't think I can give you what you need. Like, I don't think I can be convincing as a 30 year old for a whole movie. And, and I was like, wow, she's turning us down, mm-hmm. you know, because I mean, she would have probably done it, but, and I, it, it really was like, you don't think about that. Like in the first film, she plays a kid. So she's just acting like a kid in this movie. No, this little kid has, would have to have yeah. very convincingly yeah. felt like a hardened adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that would have been really, really, it just, we couldn't have let loose and have nearly as much fun as sure. we did. Yeah. No, I get know? it. I get it. And yeah. One of the fun things about this is uh, sorting out the Isabel math. You know, we were talking know. about this earlier. Yeah. <laughs> she's uh, she's 25. Is it just? She's 25 now. 25 now. She was 23, 23, I think, when we filmed. And then going back to the original movie, she was how old? 13? I think she's 12, 12? I think. Yeah. I think she was 12 playing 10. Playing, yeah. But then sometimes I'll even hear Isabel say nine. I'll hear this. Mm-hmm. Right. And she was 33. She turned out, so 
in the first film, she was 12 playing 10, but she turned out to be 33. And this is two years earlier in our film, and she's 31. And she's, so she's supposed to be, see, I've already yeah. lost it, nine, nine, but she's yeah. 24, 23 playing the part. Wow. So, which is really like, amazing that like all this time has passed and she got to grow up and become an adult right. to become a more experienced actor and then to come back and play the part of a character that we all know is faking being a child. Yeah. And yeah. now she's faking being a child. And in the movie, that's, you know, it's there, it's in the movie, but um, that's one thing I love about this is getting to see a different side to Esther. She hates being in that dress. She hates wearing fucking pigtails, yeah. you know? <laughs> she goes in the bathroom, does a shot of vodka, because it's just like, she has to do this to get to America. Yep. Um, and then she kind of becomes trapped in the situation. But um, that was so fun for her to play. You know, well, yeah. speaking on that, what was it like? I mean, obviously, she's not here. We don't know her exact perspective. But I'm sure you have a bit uh, more of an insight on it. What was her approach to rediscovering Esther? Did she go back, obsess over the first film? It, was it still in her muscle memory? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. And uh, so luckily, she had the same dialect coach that she had from the first. Film. Oh, wow. So she worked with him, you know, every week. And, um, she watched the first film and every week she would watch it again and then work with him on the scenes. And cause you know, she's not just playing a character. She's also has to do an accent, yep. you know, and then this accent has to kind of match, if not completely what she did when she was a kid, she has to change the tone. Yeah. The was she changing of, the pitch of, uh, of her cadence of her voice to be more childlike, obviously, yeah. right. Yeah. To yeah. play younger. So wow. she, she pitched her voice up, you know, <sighs> wow. and, um, and then so you would see her like, you know, hello, mommy. And then, mommy. And, you know, it's like, oh, right. Yeah. Now you get to see both sides of Esther or of <laughs> Lena, really. Yeah. Right. And, um, and then she learned, she said, you know, our, her two main body doubles. And we had three total body doubles and a stunt double. But the two core body doubles who had to do so much of the acting, Sadie and Kennedy, they taught her how to be kind of a kid. You know, because it's hard to remember that. Mm -hmm. And then when you see little girls jumping around and, and it's like, OK, so she learned a lot from them. And then she taught them how her version of a kid would move and act, you know, which is very specific. But you still would get different takes from the different girls, like one girl's better at walking, one girl's better at dancing. Um, but it was. Uh, you know, it was fun. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, you certainly pulled it off. Yeah. My gosh. Wow. Wow. I wanted to talk about the kind of as we get into this adventure, the yeah. opening scene at the Sarn Institute and everything. I wanted to ask about the artwork mm -hmm. that she's doing and, and, and kind of that that way into her world through art. What was behind the, the design of the art? Who did you have do it? Well, you know, we based a lot of, you know, her art style on the original movie because when we met her in the original, she was a better than her years artist, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. painter. Mm -hmm. And um, and then we discovered throughout the first film that she started kind of vandalizing her art with ultraviolet paint. Yeah. Which we get a, a, a tremendous backstory here. Finally. Yeah. Which is yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one of those cool things. It was never in the script. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And um, it might have been in the script the week before, but the, so 
so the artwork, um, like at CERN, was done by a few different people in our art department team, you know, because they're all extremely talented artists. And um, and then the and then the art later, and I'll speak to that later, perhaps, is um, was done by an artist I use. I work with on every movie, Jean Borhuska. You know, he created the Grizzly Ken. Yes. He's, yeah. So I you're mean, talking about the black light art yeah. and the paintings yeah. of the, yeah. So he father. was, he was the voice of, of Alan, mm, you know? Awesome. Mm. Um, and then, so we were trying to match kind of her style that she would be creating, you know, at the Sarn Institute. I mean, that's, that's her only outlet to be herself would be to paint. Mm-hmm. And, um, which is what's, you know, so interesting in a way about her relationship with her dad later in the movie is he sees her for how talented she is and nobody ever tells her that. So in a different world, they, they could have been really good friends, you know, yeah. it just doesn't always work out for her. Mm-hmm. It actually never does. <laughs> so, um, and then when she travels to meet her new old family, one thing she shares in common with the father is he's a famous painter. And, um, so in the script, that was a big part of the script. You know, he was a painter and he was wealthy and he was successful. But when you go to make the movie and you're in pre-production, you're like painter, but we have to create like, what is his style of painting? And, yeah. and obviously it can't be so good that then we can sell those paintings for millions of dollars. Yeah. Right. We wish it could be. And so it's like, we want to create a, a cool style for him that could be considered interesting enough in the movie world to where he could have gotten famous from it. And, um, and I was like, we're not using the UV paint like at all in the script. And I was like, it's such a signature. So the painting thing was in the script, but it, the UV element wasn't introduced. Yeah, yet. he was just a painter. Wow. And they shared painting. And um, and so I talked to Jean Bore and, 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 and I talked to Alex Mace. And I was like, what if we, you know, let's introduce the UV painting. Now we give the audience, you know, an Easter egg, you know, or, yeah. or more. Yeah. We give some backstory to how she learned to do yeah. that. And she yeah. learned it in a very... <clears throat> positive fun way but um and that way it is something interesting for his character to be like he he's he's this you know painter of these kind of beautiful figures and things um and then almost in a in a pop art kind of way in a in a, I, I equated it to some degree to banksy mm-hmm. you know how he'll take one mm-hmm. thing and then kind of vandalize his yeah. own thing and that becomes the real art and i was like so he takes these paintings and then he shows a different side to that character in the painting with this UV paint and, um, and then started threading it throughout the story. And, but that all happened during, you know, pre-production is we're just designing the look for his paint. And then it became, you know, a signature look of the movie. Yeah. And the title sequence and John everything. Yeah. The title sequence, right. which was, a, you know, callback to the original title uh-huh, sequence. Uh-huh. And, um, and so, and then, you know, it made all those scenes, cute like she sees that what's this cl- what's this clicker for yeah you know and yeah, he's like you don't yeah, remember yeah. and these things weren't you know and she's like oh wow and he gave his character a little bit something and um and then as they painted and when you know when she tries to escape that one time and she's drawn back by the lights flashing in the house mm-hmm. like um it just you know it gave us just a lot more to play with yeah. um when the lights you know the kind of disco light thing like that you know, we were done shooting the scene. I was like, let's try one more thing. Yeah. This time, just go crazy All with the lights. flashing yeah, nonstop. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, so that's the you know fun of making a movie is being in those situations and having the tools to try creative things. And then yeah. it's, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, you know. 
Oh, it's one of my favorite aspects of this movie. I loved, I loved seeing that. I loved yeah. seeing it. I also loved what uh, Brett did with the score on this, Brett Detter. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, yep. that's a partnership. You guys have just been killing it forever. And I'm curious because it seems to, I mean, the original score, John Ottman, who did the original score, this goes in an, it seems like an entirely different direction. <clears throat> Was there any yep. idea to retain any of the original cues or just to completely go off on your own thing? Um, Kind of go off because we were trying to set a tone with the movie that on one hand it was, I mean, one hand it's, we don't want the movie to feel like a dated film from 2008, mm-hmm. which there are aspects of when you look at the movie or you hear the score sure. that it's like, oh, I don't know if you would do that today, mm-hmm. but there are pieces of it for sure that we wanted to maintain so that it feels like, a film that was a sister to the original. Yeah. And, um, and then we also wanted to kind of throw back, you know, it's about her now and she's a character who watches Shirley Temple movies and, you know, mm. she has a very old world feel. And, um, and then the movie takes on a more fun tone at a certain point, which also was a shift in the score. Yeah. So there were times where, we talked about utilizing a theme or two from the original and it turned out to be a huge rights issue. You just can't do that and or you have to pay for the whole thing and blah, blah, blah. But, um, it was, it was, the whole movie was like this. It was a real, um, I wouldn't call it a battle. It wasn't a battle. It was a, it was a challenge to find the balance of dark and humor, Mm -hmm. you know, and the score had to do that for sure. And there were times where, the score had some light, playful aspects, and then we removed those and leaned into the darker, heavier, scarier score to get the movie in the right place. And then we went back and brought back the kind of light, you know, almost Blake Edwards, Pink Panther kind of uh, light, mysterious, you know, almost something. I don't know. I didn't listen to the Knives Out, but that kind of sure. fun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 And mystery uh, thriller fun. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it, you know, it just, it worked really well. And those were the kinds of things that we were changing on the stage during the mix, watching it going, this needs to be, you know, and it, that stuff was, you know, coming in. It was very, as a very fluid process there at the end. Yeah. And it turned out great. <sighs> like, like um, everyone was getting their hands in and playing with this, which yeah. is, you yeah. could see it. Yeah. You could tell. It, yeah. I mean, I could across the board. Yeah. Well, you know? on that, on that note, I'll, I'll say this again <laughs> on that note. I know I'm doing that a lot today. I thought the sound design was something else. I mean, yeah. we were, it's, it's disconcerting. We were watching it and both times when they're in the Sarn Institute, just uh, alarms are triggering. I don't know what you did with the sound mix, but it sounded like the alarms were going off in our house. I thought it was our, our house <laughs> yeah. alarm. Yeah. And then there's uh, yeah. a couple bass notes that hit when the detectives kind of looking around the house at one point. Yep. And again, it, it, it felt like, Whoa, is this in the movie or is this like going on in our house? I don't know what it was about the mixer, but it sounds very immersive. Yeah. Was that something that it was, you were cognizant of, or is that something I'm just picking up? <laughs> For sure. I mean, you know, that's the thing of, um, to me, a movie that feels more rich, you know, we can play with the sound now um, and, and we can fill up a space so much, so much more than, or so much, 
it's easier to. We have more tools to do it, like at our fingertips. Sure. And Craig Mann, who, you know, the film we're doing now is the sixth movie we've done. And, you know, we started off doing like Devil Inside and he was doing the paranormal movies. He went on, did the Annabelle movies. Then he won an Academy Award with Whiplash. Yeah. Wow. And then, and he's, <laughs> wow. you know, and we did the boy movies and we did everything together. And um, and we just did our mix of the new movie in London. So, you know, oh, like fantastic. two weeks on stage in London. And, um, and so, you know, they're just great at what they do. And they listen, I say they, him and his team, you know, they're not just, just mixing a movie to, to mix a movie. You know, they're, they're trying to find ways to make, make the experience as special yeah. as we can make it. Mm. And so, it's, um, yeah, it was, it was, everything's been a journey on this movie, but yeah. in, in the best way. Yeah. Like it, you know, it's been the most fun of anything I've ever done. Tell me about the set design on the Albright Mansion. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Well, it dep- how much do you want to know? <laughs> like, how many secrets? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> how many secrets? Well, let's just start with just the, the, the look of the, yep. uh, are we looking at a practical set? Is that a, a real mansion, first of all, and all the lush paneling and everything that's in there? It's all of the above. I mean, um, the, you know, we wanted, this family was a wealthy family, like, who had a lot of money, but we didn't want them to feel like the family in the first film. They right. had a very slick, kind of modern mm-hmm, mm-hmm. vibe. So we wanted to do something a little more gothic and a little more traditional, um, old, old world money sort of. And, um, and there's this great mansion in Victoria that is like, I think right now being destroyed. It was built in 1923. Oh my God. It's been like Victoria BC. Yeah. Kennedy. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. No, wait, no, no, um, um, no, Winnipeg, 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 Winnipeg. Manitoba. Okay. And, um, and I, yeah, I just got a, um, email last week or something that there, and it, it's like one of the key oh homes in the nicest place and area. And, um, and they're destroying it and starting over after a hundred years. Whoa. And, um, and I was kind of like, why didn't we like if <laughs> a year different, we could have destroyed it on camera. Yeah. Real fire. Wow. But, um, there are so many different things going on with the set. So, you know, Exterior of the house is is that place. The interior, the core of the house, is a different house. Um, many of 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 the rooms, like the kitchen, yeah. the bedroom, those are all built on a stage. Um, the uh, so you know it was it was it's a mix of so. That's many wild. Oh. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I love I I love set design. And I love the fact that it was a bunch of different places and you never know. That's amazing. Know, yeah. That's and amazing. sometimes people don't want to know. That's what I meant. Yeah. And even I'll do a movie and the editor who's not on set really when we're shooting and I come back and he's cutting something and I'm like, well, see, that's, that's a stage hallway. And he goes, I don't want to know. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just looking at, okay. I'm yeah, just looking, looking at, at the footage. House. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So, um, yeah, it's interesting how... <laughs> And I, I watched the movie now because it has been enough time. I watched it on the plane coming home last week. Couldn't sleep. And I was like, I'm, you know, I can, for some reason I can watch this movie over and over. That's great. That's yeah. a good sign. Well, for me right? it is, right? But, um, and, and I forget. I mean, um, it's, it's been enough time away to where it, it all feels um, cohesive, you know? Yeah. Which I think, knock on wood, um, when we make the movie that, that audiences 
it feels cohesive because they don't have the they don't know the, what's real and what isn't yeah right. exactly. but, um and what about the doll yeah, there's a doll house version of the yeah, house yeah, that's right yeah yeah we burnt that that down <laughs> and um because you know we, here's the thing like, we're working on a, a budget with a movie and i think it's like this with any budget movie you're always people are trying to squeeze this or that mm-hmm. um we knew there was a big fire in the movie and um and so early i was like well she has dollhouses well let's make the dollhouse like a, an exact replica of the mansion yeah and then at the end of the movie we can burn the dollhouse <laughs> and intercut that with the real house <laughs> And then it's not that you think that's the real house <laughs> right, burning, right, right. but it's the symbolism. Oh, interesting. Yeah. We didn't yeah. really do end up doing that um, exactly, but uh, that was, once again, and that's the fun, the details of making a movie is like, she has a dollhouse. Yeah. Well, but what's the dollhouse look like? Yeah. Let's make it like the real place. And, and it was so big that then it allowed us to utilize it in scenes and hide Isabel behind it. So if you look at a lot of the scenes, she'll be playing in her dollhouse and somebody will come in and have a scene with her and they'll be on the other side of the dollhouse. So, you know, Isabel can get low and further away from the yeah. house. And then when we are on the reverse, we have a little kid there. We have, you know, Kennedy or Sadie Lee and they're um, closer to, you know, anyway, it's, it's, it all plays into the magic of it, you know, like the magic trick. Yeah. Were there any scenes uh, that did not get filmed that, you know, or perhaps something that was so elaborate, a certain kill or a certain setup or a certain sequence that you really wanted to, 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 to make happen, but it just could not work due to production or timing? Definitely. Um, but not like, um, it, it, what was interesting with this was we didn't really have to change. I never looked at it like, oh, we have to change these things because she's playing the character now. Right. You know? That didn't really become an issue. It just became an issue of sometimes some scenes might be more complex and then we didn't have enough time to do them. And it takes so much longer when she's interacting with an adult. And um, so there's one scene and I hope we um, finish, we release it, you know, like we have to like kind of finish it and release it. Okay. But um, it's a fun scene. It didn't really fit like, I think it would have stuck out to you guys in, like, the placement of it. And, and um, I, can't, I, know, I can't really say that much about it, you know. Uh, but, no, that was, that was one cool thing about it is we found ways to, to make everything work. And for the most part, there, yeah, there was nothing that we had to change for that. I mean, you know, there was a dog in the movie at one point. I was like, yeah. the dog's not doing anything. Let's get rid of the dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of stuff, you know. But with her, it was, it was, it almost, that's what I mean. Like, even with her acting against adults, the aha moment was like, oh, wow, this is so much better than a, than what a child would be able to do. No offense to the child, but it's like, it's just hard. Right. And, um, and then the physicality in these moments, whether it be her getting close to the father and, um, in a, in a romantic way was so much better to do with Isabel than it would have been with the child and um and similarly the action stuff when she really kind of got down and dirty um you know she's a real physical actor um, isabel and so like there's a great you know kind of throw down and so the two of them just you know were awesome and had it been a child in that that would have been even harder to pull yeah, off no, definitely you know? definitely because I, n- I never could have probably gotten that 
amount of intensity with a kid. Yeah. Um, it so and it still would have been a bunch of body doubles and stunt doubles and stuff, you know. Right. So either way, it still would have been tricky. The Boo Crew will be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The creeping, crawling, spine-tingling terror of Phantasm is now open everywhere, like a freshly dug grave. The Los Angeles Times called it a scream. We call it the picture with hearse power. Phantasm, from Avco Embassy Pictures, rated R under 17, not admitted without parent. If this one doesn't scare you, you're already dead. so fascinated with the props in the movie that that uh isabel have had to interact with considering that she's playing you know, a certain size character and all that you know and so uh, was all of this like thought out beforehand precisely like was there no wiggle room to say hey let's have her use this instead only because you didn't have the right size knife uh-huh. or like, tool <laughs> right. or oh yeah or... and i mean there like i said there were times that um i mean you're still trying to make a movie right. it's it was pretty much for every major department head, a major, you know, like core actor and probably everybody. Um, it was our first movie back and there was no vaccine. And, you know, and we were wearing masks and we had to wear goggles. We had to be tested every single day. We had to, you know, it was crazy. And, and you're doing to, an impossible feat yeah, <laughs> at yeah, the yeah. same time and making a movie, which is also impossible. Yeah. Just <laughs> and so, so it, it, people were just trying to make a movie and um and there were some departments that that caught up later than others um after a few days and they're like oh i get it like you know they were getting called out like every scene like hey what are you doing we can't do that we can't do that and then they finally were like okay and then they kind of rethought what they were doing and um and it was great but every single thing like for instance she's in the art art studio painting right. And so a lot of those shots are the double and, but when we have the double, she's a different size in relation to the painting. So every time we switched and go, okay, now Isabel oh, tighter yeah. and we get two cameras. So a different, and it'd be like bring in the different painting so that wow. it matches Isabel's size. <laughs> wow. So every shot that painting gets swapped out, you know? And, um, and it was just like that with every single thing. Um, and if, if there was a stool, if Isabel's like, okay, I'll do a take now because we're tighter. Well, we got to lower that stool six inches. And and then everybody's like, oh, God, we got to do that. And and eventually, like I said, everybody started anticipating those yeah. things. And it wasn't problematic. But um, but it was, yeah, nonstop, nonstop. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what about the scene with the, the bloody piano keys? I love that yeah. scene. Yeah. I love the polarity of seeing, you know, the ivory keys, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this blood all over it. Yeah. Was that in the script? Something that, that came after? That, no, it wasn't in the script. And um, so in the script, it was a much more hard and fast scene. So she showed up, she 
she was like shoved food in her mouth like really quickly got a thing and and like it was it was really kind of harsh mm. and um and to me you know i'm like this character's pretty evolved like she's an amazing pianist we know that she's an amazing painter um she cooks for them so it's like you know she's can do a lot of things and um and it was my my girlfriend anna <laughs> who was like i mean wouldn't she just relax for a moment and like have a glass of wine and like she likes the finer things yeah in life. yeah and i was like yeah and um and so we started to add those elements to it um to where because no you know no, nobody in that scene was hunting her so she didn't she could chill and enjoy this apartment and this girl's life for an evening yeah and um and have that glass of wine and and there was more to it there was stuff we cut out she had like a plate of you know pl- uh, cheese and stuff and, <laughs> a and, charcuterie board yeah <laughs> and i think because like in the scene when we introduce her to julia she's behind a piano mm-hmm. And that wasn't in the script. And so when we got to this location, we knew that it was in the corner of this huge, beautiful, grand room, tucked away and covered was this grand piano. And I was like, is that a piano? Because we knew she played the piano and we had her play it later. Yeah. And they were like, yeah. I was like, well, can we wheel that out? And then let's have her hiding behind it, just tinkering on the piano. She can't show her mother she's good at playing the piano. Right. So she's, and, um, and I was like, and by the way, just tinker like Brahms lullaby, the easiest thing you could do, which is, you know, from the boy. And um, so she's tinkering the boy thing, you know, oh, as she's- Oh, wow, oh, another man. Easter egg. Funny. Yeah. <laughs> I missed that. Yeah, I missed that too. That's amazing. And it was, it was funny because script supervisor, who's kind of in charge of continuity and details like that sometimes, and he had never said this to me, and I was like, yeah, just playing something. And I was like going, all right, I know, I wonder just dun, 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 like it's the simplest tune. So it would make sense. And he was like, you're going to do Brahms, right? Like you're going to do the Brahms. <laughs> and I was like, you thought that too? And he's like, yeah. And so, so we did and it's in the movie and that's cool. Um, and so by that time we, you know, we knew there was a piano later. We saw the piano in this room. And then when we showed up at this apartment, you know, it's like, she's got a piano, like right in the center of this apartment. So we didn't move that piano into the apartment um, when Lena goes in there and has the wine, has blood all over her hands. But I was like, perfect. So instead of her taking a bath, which I think is what it was, let's have her play the piano. And then it became this, you know, and it, where we bring the music in and waft to this very beautiful sequence that juxtaposition, that yeah. juxtaposes her searching for this girl and looking at herself covered in blood and cleaning up and, and, and becoming Esther. And, um, you know, I think at, at one point in the script, you know, we kept, like, she got the dress while she was in Sarn from the guard, and then she put it on and escaped wearing it. And it was like, well, shouldn't she escape as Lena? And then when she goes to this house, she finds the girl and these dresses she's collected from the guard who she's manipulated. Yeah. yeah. She then dresses up and we reveal, oh, now she's Esther, yeah. you know? And now the movie, this movie begins, this yeah. story. So... All that stuff was was so fun, and it it's just you know it's you're like oh they're they're movie moments you know right. like her turning around for the first time with the pigtails and the and the wrist and the you know everything uh, it's uh, 
trying to find those moments and make them memorable. You know, it was really fun God. and very easy with this movie. Yeah. This character, gosh, she's such a master manipulator, sociopath, psychopath. <laughs> I mean, it's just so scary, you know? And I, I was just curious, did you have a conversation with David uh, Kongishaw who wrote this uh, or, or any of the previous writers or anyone? Like, do people like this exist? Oh, like, yeah. Is it based on... Absolutely. I mean, I know that this story was originally not based on a true story. It was based on a painting that Leonardo DiCaprio saw. And um, and I don't know what the painting is, but it was a painting of, of this young girl. Um, and that led to the story, you know, in 2006. Right. He produced that first movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so it... it um, and he was the one that chose Isabel because the character was blonde hair. She was blue eyes. And Isabel was amazing. They even have her, if you've ever seen, there's like stuff on the internet, her wearing the blonde wig and was going to even play blonde. And they said, let's make her, let's just use her real hair, which yeah. now you can't imagine her. Anyway, yeah. Right. You know, but, um, but there are these stories and, and, and there always have been. And I think that was a big part. I know Isabel a couple of years, a few years ago, read another story about a Ukrainian girl. I who, heard that one. Yeah. Oh, and she, wow. she's, 28 years old and pretending to be um, an orphan, you know, to, with this family. And the thing is, like any of these stories, these girls haven't systematically murdered the family, right. but they're taking them for a ride. And yeah. that's what's fascinating to me about these stories. And the big reason I wanted to do the movie is the mind of a sociopath. It's like, you know, I'm like, oh, Esther, I wish you would just stop dressing up like a kid because it's never going to work out because you're going to grow up or you're not going to grow up and they're going to find out that you're not who you say you are. Right. And then you're going to have to start over again, maybe kill a bunch of people in between. And, but I'm sure that Lena's character, that Lena, um, tried to be normal, but she has this condition that makes her so small that she probably was ridiculed at one point. And it was easier for her to pretend to be a child than to go through the heartache of being an adult. And, um, and that's what I mean in this movie. She's not happy that she has to wear pigtails. She's doing it because it's means to an end right. to get out of Estonia and Russia. Um, so, and then there was, yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a new show that I was, when I was, maybe this is an aside, but we were doing the press junket and one of the last interviews, the guy was like, you probably haven't checked the trades today, but did you see that they've announced a new show about a family who adopts a girl from, I think from Russia, who turns out to be not a grown up, and she turns out, or should not be a grown up. It's just, it's, it's orphan. Yeah, oh, basically. And a series, yeah. you know, announced <laughs> the day we were doing press, you know, and, um, and we were all like, none of us are involved in it. Or yeah, I wouldn't necessarily. What the heck? <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it's like, come on, really? But um, it'll be the more grounded, you know, like drama, I'm sure, but, you know, we're going to watch that show and be like, when's she gonna like try to smother the <laughs> right. five-year-old daughter? Like, yeah. you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. the cool stuff going to happen. Right. Yeah. Right. So they're going to have to fictionalize that, I think, to make it fun. But it's a cool story. I don't know exactly if it's moving forward. Pompeii. Is her name. Okay. Is her name, last name. Anyway. So there, there, there are a lot of, I think um, somebody was saying the other day, they think half of orphans are not as old as they say they are and they come you know they come in under false pretense to get to america and things like that wow you know? interesting wow. 
but they don't necessarily have a condition. That, yeah. You know, they just, yeah. they're petite and fake it um, <laughs> just so they can get here. And then that's the great thing about movies, right? I mean, we get to create the character who then tries to kill it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. The fantastical <laughs> version yeah, exactly, of all that. Exactly. exactly. And have fun with it. Do you think there's a, I mean, uh, you've obviously thought about this and there's much more to explore with this character. Yes. Her love of Shirley Temple. Where'd that come from, for instance? Is there another... What do you think? Is there a prequel or a sequel? I mean, I know you like... Nope. you. Everyone likes a trilogy, right? Yeah. That's a good way to tell a, a, a story uh, beginning to end, a trilogy, I find. Yeah, I agree. What do you think What do you think it would be? Another prequel or do you think a, a, a sequel to the first film? <laughs> you know, I think it could be anything, really. Um, and I was a, I was probably a little surprised when I thought I was like, I'm glad it turned out the way it did, but I'm like, well, she got killed, but that's a pretty easy hand comes up out of the water yeah. at the beginning of the movie. And you're like, oh, she didn't die in that lake because mm -hmm. it wasn't a horrible death. But anyway, we talked, we, we joked about everything, you know, because as we're making the movie, it was like, if this works, you know, like we all feel like it's working. And but every stage you're wondering when somebody going to call bullshit on us and be like, what the fuck are you thinking? Yeah, this is but. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, there's 30 years of her life, 20 years, there's 20 years of her life as a 10 year old between now and her being 31. Right. Yeah. And, um, and there's so much life experience that we can play with. And, you know, and I think because of the tone of this movie, it's like we can go darker and lighter, like even more extremes, you know, um, you know, make her more in charge yeah. and and evil but also have even more fun at times but um so of course there is and and what's cool is i was thinking about this this morning maybe i would never i would never do it if if, if isabel didn't do it and um and then also have to be a really cool script you know because they they did such a good job with creating a great twist and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a fresh yeah and so it's like okay you can't just you know, but there is a lot. And I, you know, we were Esther in space, but um, <laughs> she's frozen in a, in a right. <laughs> but no, but I got to see somebody's got to make a short where Michael Myers teaches Esther how to drive. <laughs> I got to see that. Somebody's got to make it. Come on. Well, yeah, have him drive like Toon Sis, the driving cat. Yeah, you guys know what yeah, that yeah, is? Yeah, 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 the yeah. Drives, yeah. But it's like, what are you doing having a cat drive? And they drive off the cliff. And it's like, don't have Michael drive. Right. But um, there's so many fun things like that. Yeah. The I remember when we were, by the way, doing, um, we had finished Devil Inside. And that's one thing about doing a horror film is when you say cut, we laugh so much and have like, 10 ideas that are sure. kind of funny. Sure, yeah, yeah, right then and, and there. And, and, stay, and, and Devil Inside, like, you know, the characters would do these confessionals and talk about their experience. But then to be like, cut, and it's like all the funny things they could have said. Then, of course, the Wayans brothers do a parody and they include Devil Inside in that. And I, and they called me up and they're like, we want to see how you did a couple things in that movie. And I was like, well, I'll show you if you let me come to set. And so I came to set and watched them do their scenes. And I remember Marlon Wayans and those guys got it easy. Like they go, they rip off all of our ideas, right. make fun of them, make the movie for nothing. Exactly. And they make tons of money. Exactly. And we don't get nothing. And I'm like, how is that fair? <laughs> but he was like, man, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> oh and it's God. been a while since they've made one, but yeah. knowing him, it's like, 
couple of years from now, he's got a lot of material yeah. building up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> bring it back. And so that kind of scene is what that's in. Yeah. But, um, but is it, you know, Isabel, um, a hundred percent is like, wants to make another one, you know? Oh, that's awesome. And, and so even doing this one, I always am like, is she gonna be like, yeah, never again. That was, that was a gamble. I'm not doing it again, <laughs> but she, you know, she can play this character for the rest of her life. Yeah. If she wants to. Yeah. 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 Um, well, if we can do it now and it only get, you know, easier and better. Of uh, the techniques, right? You mastered it. You've mastered it already with this one. So I'm sure and, getting and, back, you even have more ideas of what to, yeah. you know what you can do, right? Yeah, yeah. Like how how much you can push certain things, and and um, I think it would be the funnest thing in the world. And like you say, trilogies. It's a great standalone movie is awesome for me as a as a filmmaker and a writer. Mm -hmm. Like I get to the end of that 90 page script or 100 minute movie and I'm like I'm just getting into these characters yeah, usually. Exactly. And that's why trilogies work so well and and of course now there's a lot of, you know, great limited series which are just yeah, expanded. The way to the yeah. way to get content out there is, you know, craves it, right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean I I feel like you watch a movie like this on Paramount Plus and a kid experiencing orphan for the first time, if they like it, they're like, okay, where's the next one? Exactly. Right. And it's yeah. like, all right, well, we'll start thinking about that. And then we'll start writing it. Then we'll, and it's like four years go by, mm -hmm. but in actuality, it's like, ah, yeah, if you can, I mean, you know, it's like, we're used to seeing these things quicker now. And, and I love that. Yeah. yeah you got to bring in some science. You gotta, you know, give Esther some hormonal or stem cell therapy. That way she can grow taller into a teenager. Oh yeah, there you go. Then is about playing a teenager now. Yeah. Much easier on Much her. easier right. on her thighs. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. have to squat. <laughs> and and you know, um, yeah, seeing her have to go to school, fall in love. There's so so, oh, man. so much that could go wrong. Yeah, exactly. the, the whole yeah. series, yeah, is <laughs> Esther the teenage years. Yeah, it's like God, what's the story that. with the you know the the dentures? Like, <laughs> right? How did those come yeah. about? <laughs> right, right. What? Ah, there's so many mysteries. Like who is she, who, who is she killed in her past? Who made fun of her teeth? Exactly. Right. right. You know, as I didn't notice this the, the times I watched it, but I, I'm always, mm -hmm. always looking for it now. Moving forward, is it? Did any grizzly kin make it into the into the bedroom scene or anywhere in there? Well, I don't remember. The, not we were up there, so I didn't. I wasn't able to travel with yeah. actual mm. things. But Jean Bord did the art, and so I know that in doing that, there are spots where you know we drew them in, uh, and so. But I haven't thought about that lately. So I'd have to go back and see like, well, what yeah, I have to go back and look for the Easter eggs of like, where did it make it in? Yeah. Um, but for sure there's spots. I mean, you know, there were a lot of spots for that kind of stuff. If it hadn't been the COVID, I mean, you know, the COVID of it all was crazy. Like I said, there's no like vaccines, there's no safety nets. There yep. was, and, um, and even for the producers, they were only allowed to send Alex Mace, the producer up there. There are a whole lot of other producers that usually are up there. There's the studio, the financiers, and they kind of realized right towards the end, they called, kind of freaked out because they're like, we can't come. Like, they won't allow you in the country. Oh, wow, you know? man. And, and, and we knew, but I think it hit them like, we can't control the situation if everything goes south. So you have to promise us, like, you guys are not going to fuck this up, you know, <laughs> because there's no like, oh, shit, studio is going to send their guy and he's going to yeah. crack the whip. Like that guy wasn't allowed to come to the country. So, um, 
it made everything that much more difficult. Sure. Things like flying yeah. in a cool doll or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it would be. You know, it was like, we were, we were lucky, you know, in, in what we did. But, you know, you look at her room, I mean, my God. It was, right. It was, there was 30, 30 dogs. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been the spot, right? Yeah, the easiest spot right. in the world. But um, are we gonna see more grizzly kin, kin, kin content? Got content out there. I can't talk. Are we gonna see it? Here's a kin I love, and it's like, um, it's just and John Boer, you know, yeah. is the artist who mm-hmm. who draws them, and you know, and so, and that's what you know he his wheelhouse is is animated film or uh um graphic novels and comic books yeah so it's really just about finding the time to 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 make the story like you know a year ago we were really close to doing it sure but the movie came out and then um and then it was like uh i went to london to do Mm -hmm. this other movie it's just you know so much stuff's been going on so it's like finding the time to really yeah Cause it's a, a cool world. Oh, you got to do it. You got to yeah. do it. You can't, can't let those characters just yep. sit, sit there in separation. They got to keep going, man. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. There's so many fun things you can do with that, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And you know, they're emotional and, um, and creepy and inventive and, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. like, that is kind of like, there's nothing more f- f- uh, for me from the ground up. That's more exciting than, than, than bringing them to life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's right there. Do you think you'll do a third boy? I mean, um, I mean, I think it's, there's like everything there's it's tricky. There should be a third boy. Yeah. Because, you know, initially, you know, we were, we were going to roll the sequel white right into the story about the guy, you know, the new slasher mm-hmm. killer. Mm-hmm. And, and then years went by and, um, and, you know, it's like if, if we had made that film with Jason Blum, you know, he would have been making the third movie by the time the second movie came out because he knows when he has something that people are interested in. Yep. To keep he it just, going. He just starts yeah. creating them. And, um, and we didn't have that kind of uh, mechanics, you know, so everybody's more tiptoeing around, you know, waiting to be told what to do. And and after a few years, it was the doll that kind of had, you know, Brahms the doll that kind of lived on and on social media and it had become a meme and, and they were like, wow, it's, you know, he's, he's outlasted the movie. And, um, so then the focus was more on him, you know, like his story sort of. And now it's like, I think Brahms guy in the wall edits on TikToks, 200 million views, you know? And, um, the amount of art, like the amount of concept art of him, like, it's infinite, infinite. Wow. You can't scroll through it and without wanting to kill yourself because there's so much of it. And it's all so interesting, creative. And people are so in love with that character. And of course, the two char- characters together are still um, an interesting team. And, um, and I love, you know, I love that kind of story of like, you know, kind of like with, with Esther, like getting to see a side of them, yeah. you know, yeah. A, and humanizing them or at least seeing what they go through. And yeah, she's a sociopath. She, she makes bad choices, but I can relate to like how tough her life must be. And similarly with Brahms, you know, it's like, Oh yeah. You know, you're kind of a bad kid and your parents hid you to protect you, but they also kind of made you crazier. So similarly, you know, if, if, if we ever did that or, 
if they did it or however, um, you know, the, to me, it's like the Joker version of mm. him. Yeah. And, yeah. um, it'll be 10 years. And then after, you know, it's like, okay, so did he, you know, he survived that first film that was always in the script initially for the sequel was they never found his body. And, um, but you know, to me, that's fascinating to be like, well, what's he been doing since then, you know? And then why does he start killing again? Maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. but there's a lot of great stories and there's prequel. I mean, there's once again, that's another rich world that, um, lends itself to a lot of great stories. Yeah. yeah. All your stuff, man. Yeah. All your stuff does. Yeah. That's well, I think thing. I'm drawn to those things, even yeah. if I didn't create them or not from scratch. I just, I'm drawn to, I mean, as horror fans, the idea of creating the next Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees or Chucky is like dream come true. Yeah. And we look now and you're like, it's still Jason and Freddie yep. and Michael and Chucky and a few others. And, and, um, and I can see now like Brahms, the doll and, Brahms, the real Brahms are, you know, they're in that, they're right there on the outside in that family. Sometimes yeah. they kind of photobomb that kind of art. You know? <laughs> oh, they're for sure yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. And it's sure like, and, it, and it, it takes a lot of work for that. Same thing with Esther. And, um, and that's what I told her yesterday when we were getting all the feedback from everybody Monday. And I was like, you've, you know, either she would have been really, I don't think she would have been frustrated. We all love the movie, but I'm like, you've, you've reconfirmed yourself as a horror icon, you know, yeah. now you've got two movies of this character yeah. that, you know, you created and you kept alive by taking this huge chance on so many levels. And it's like, if people critique Orphan First Kill, it's, I mean, people, some people will be like, oh, I don't know if I could buy into that. And I, wonder sometimes if they know what the first movie was about you right. know or that she's actually an adult yeah. but um it's not usually that that they're critiquing is is her regardless they're like oh no like she's amazing she was incredible in the role and she's an incredible character and she definitely was like a highlight of the movie so um yeah i get drawn to those to create characters that can last and and then yeah. somebody can put up on their wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in a glass case. Yeah, yeah right, right. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's uh, like uh, horror icons for the next generation too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they need some, I mean, there's a few, you know, that have mm-hmm. come around in the mm-hmm. last five or so years, like Annabelle. Um, but, you know, it's, and who was it? I Somebody said something. I don't know if this was a review from yesterday. There's so many but it's like to create a, a horror. Maybe it was John Squires. Okay. Maybe. From Bloody Disgusting. Yeah, you mentioned him earlier. Yeah, I yeah. could be wrong, but um, if, if it was him, but it was like a character needs, they need sequels to, to be able to become iconic. Yes. You know, you have to be able to follow their story more. Yep. So it's like, you have to allow those chances for those yeah. movies to be made. Got to nurture and, those characters. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. like, there'll be hits and misses and some people will like some stuff. Some people will like others. I mean, we did the boy like, People were like, I was into the movie, but what the fuck was the guy in the walls? Mm-hmm. But then people were like, well, you know, I, I, I hated the movie, but then this guy came out in the walls. And you never know what you know, is going to resonate with audiences. And, um, you know, I, I look at something like Halloween. Halloween 3 was like so disappointing. When I was a kid, I was like, what the fuck happened to Halloween? Right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Halloween 1 and 2 is like really <laughs> right. one movie. Yeah, then we're yeah. off to the... Day. And then it was just off the yeah. reservation. Yeah. And I get it, you know? But... um but the cool thing is like, okay, cool. Don't worry. We're going to keep making them. And then 
rebooting them and coming back. And we see it with, you know, Spider-Man. Sometimes it's biological that he can spin webs. Sometimes it's a gadget. Right. We don't care. We just love the character and yeah. we want to keep seeing yeah. seeing it as, as long as there's care, yeah. you know, in, in how it's happening. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I think. I wanted to mention, uh, as we wrap up here, another Easter egg, a William Brent Bell Easter egg, <laughs> is that, uh, so Alice Krieg made an appearance in the director's cut of Stay Alive. Yeah. Right? As yeah. the author. Oh, yeah. And she's in one of my favorites from the last decade, Gretel and Hansel. Hansel yeah. yeah yep. Playing the witch, Holda. And uh, the person who edited that was Josh Ethier, who yes. edited Orphan First Kill. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. So was is that something that you get to have a decision as, as director who's editing the film? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends on... Um, hundred percent. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I'm, I, I make the decision and it depends on what the project is. I might bring somebody or if that's not the case or we're shooting in whatever, if there's circumstances like the producers usually will um, put together a list of, of people sure. and then I'll interview them and different things like that. And, um, and Josh is just, he's such a like rising star in the horror world. And he's a, he's an editor who's, I believe he might be, 35, 36, yeah, but he's, right. he's, you know, he's an ACE union editor that takes usually a much longer career. He's done it in like 10 years and he produces and stars in exactly horror Acts, films yeah, with Joe Bigas yeah. and that's yeah. right. Yeah. And so List, yeah, he's, he's a tried and tried and he's got a band now that he's like been playing wow. in the last couple of weeks Unreal. that he's always, I think played, you know, music. But, um, so it was like, yeah, that's a really exciting you know, and the same thing with Kareem Hussein, you know, both these guys, he had just come off Possessor. And so it's like these kind of rising all-stars in the horror kind of world that are making the coolest, like freshest stuff. And, um, and which also really dictates some of the, you know, choices, of course, but like style of shooting and then the style of editing. And then you have both those guys kind of being a bit avant-garde, um, you know, you have a movie that doesn't just feel like a, a typical kind of sure, movie. There you go. Yeah. You've got something that's different. And some people will be like, I don't know. It doesn't feel like a typical studio movie. They don't, I don't think they know they're saying that they say something that means that, but it's like, um, but having Josh, you know, it's, it's his, you know, his passions are like Russian films from the forties. Uh, yeah, the exactly. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. His palette is dense. It is. And, and he also knows how to compartmentalize it. So he's not hating on something because it's not, um, yeah. you know, it's, it's, he, 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 um, he knows how to balance these two worlds of, of, well, like he's, it's a wide spectrum of, of what he's good at yeah, and what he, you know, the horror that, that him and Joe do is specific in like gonzo horror, you know, sort yeah. of yeah. And yeah. high concept but they keep it kind of low fi on purpose. Sure. Then he and, goes and does something like Gretel and Hansel, which is this, this as stunning, beautiful. like a painting. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and so, and that's what, you know, experience in this business does. If you get to go through the process is then you get to draw on your experience. And so now him being able to do Gretel and Gretel and Hansel, and then do his own films. And then something like this, you know, like a movie like this has a lot of politics, you know, yeah. because it's already kind of a quasi studio movie. And, and it was a, people have a lot of 
connection to the original. And so we're having to juggle a lot of egos. And he was a, of course, if you've met him, I mean, he's, he's a Viking, you know, he's <laughs> six, five, just, you know, he's a, he's a massive guy. And, um, and he was a bouncer when he was, I don't know if he was when he was in college. Um, but he has that vibe of like, okay, okay. If I just, you know, like stand back, like keep yeah. their cool yeah. and know how to talk to people. And there was a crazy loud mouth drunk dude over here. You know how to calm that guy down. Yeah. To keep the other yeah. side quiet. Oh, <laughs> so there's man. this quality to yeah. where it's like, he'll use that phrase sometimes. He goes, I got a boss got a boss you know which is like a phrase you hear those guys kind of using interesting yeah. and um but you know it it's it's like being a bouncer it's like knowing how you, you got to deal with all these mad people yeah and you got to keep them calm and you yourself certainly have to remain calm and um and still edit you know blazing yeah. speed making changes keeping you know, so and, it was Dan, the challenge of this edit, obviously, is you're cutting between these doubles and uh, yeah. well, real yeah. Isabel and all these insane things. I mean, these edits are lightning fast, too. Yeah. Like yeah. like we said, right? Multiple per, you know, an arbitrary shot yeah. taking up tons of cuts. Yeah. And it was, um, um, you know, at first we we weren't allowed to be in the same room together. So we're so we're wow. doing the directors the first cut, you know, for 10 weeks or whatever. Like I'm at home and we're, you know, I'm watching stuff and talking to him zoom whatever and he's at his house like cutting and then once that was done they were they allowed us like humans to be you know they weren't family or living together yeah allowed us to be in the same room so we were able to have open up our post-production offices with um i think four people the coordinator the assistant editor me and and him so then we would be able to go in after the first cut was done and for a few months like work on the movie and like you say, this movie in particular requires intense collaboration, you know, um, because you can't just use any ordinary shot to complete a scene. Right. So it's, um, all, it's all part of the sleight of hand. Everybody's got to yeah. be in on the trick. Yeah. And then if you start doing that too much, maybe you can do that if you just have unlimited amount of money to yeah. fix it or something. Yeah. And it was like, oh, no, we did things specifically. So it was um, it just, you know, everybody had to be very calm and like, and know that like this pro this COVID of it all just made the process of everything much slower. Yeah, you know, but it was, but it got there. It you know it just it was just kind of we had to had to pace ourselves to get through it. <laughs> not to um, not to keep you for too much longer, but I got to ask this: Did it was it a decision that was hard for you to make, or were you a part of having to turn that Alice Creek role? into a director's cut only thing and not have a be part of the theatrical release. Oh, that was horrible. Um, that was, uh, you know, when we were prepping the movie and they were basically sending us off to new Orleans to go shoot, stay alive. My last question, I had everybody in the room, you, you know, I have this one big meeting. So you had spyglass and big G and all these heavy hitters kind of, and, um, and then sending us off to make the movie, you know? And I was like, I just want to know now, is this going to become, PG-13 because it's an R-rated script. It's like a lot of violence and a lot of Fox and, you know, that's where the comedy is. And, mm -hmm. and they were like, nope, hundred percent. Like you're shooting your movie. And I got, you know, and had they said, eh, it might have to be PG-13. I would have been like, fine, I can, 
design the mm. kills and all the time we spend on the money on creating blood gags and horrible deaths and stuff. I, I can spend that money elsewhere. But, and then as soon as we got back, cut together the first trailer, Disney bought the movie and it was like, it has to be PG 13. You have to cut 20 minutes out. And, and it was like, but this was the script we agreed on. And this was the, and, um, and so, but for them, Alice Krieg was part of the mythology that led to James Haven. He's amazing. And he, it was, he created such a great character who was kind of the, the, the villain of the movie who created the game in stay alive. And they were like, um, and it was, if you want to cut 15 minutes out, I could see how that storyline was the one you would, you would lift out. Sure. And they're like, kids won't care. And that's the problem when you make these movies and you make them with a bigger studio scenario they just don't respect the audience. And it's like, of course they're going to care. Cause the first thing you would think is, well, who killed these kids? Just like the game, go to yeah. the game design. Yeah. Kids won't care about that. They just want to see, you know, the game kill people and stuff. <sighs> and so we cut that out and, um, I had to call him and tell him he thought he was becoming this great character. And then called him and said, they've, you're, you know, taking it all out. Oh, I've never spoken to him. man. He like hung up on me is awful. Yeah. But, um, and, and it was really frustrating. It was very yeah. much a situation where the studio is, is kind of forcing us to sure. make these changes. And, um, and then when we were preparing the DVD, now Disney owned the movie and they called and they're like, Hey, do you have any, any scenes that didn't make the movie? We can put DVD extras. I was like, Oh yeah. And so when they saw the, footage and Alice Krieg's whole scene, which I love, they were like, would you, hey, can we, would you be interested in doing a director's cut? You know, I was like, absolutely. Yeah. And they're like, all right, we'll give you a week and a half with an editor, a budget of like a hundred grand to like try to finish as much of the shots that weren't in the original like the, cause these video game shots that were cut out never were finished. And that cost a lot of money. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then the studio called me or the other studio, the original, you know, like the, the post-production supervisor. She's like, what are you doing? You can't do a director's cut. A lot of important people made these decisions. You can't put this stuff back in the movie. What? And I was like, oh, here we go again. And I called the Disney guys like, yeah, so yeah, we're not going to, I'm not going to do it. And then they called the post team and called the other company. And they're like, we own the movie now. We do what we want. He's doing a director's cut. And, um, and so then we, you know, added in that whole storyline, which was about 15 minutes, which, and, uh, you know, and immediately you could just like, not only the entertainment weekly's grade for the movie jump to grade points, like immediately when they announced the DVD, Wild, huh? but then you just kids, you know, like the audience that it was made for, they totally were like, oh, so much better. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's just the mystery of the guy. And it's like, no, they, they. You know, you, you have to treat these audiences with respect. And, and a lot of times the higher ups are only making this movie so they can go off and make their Oscar movies sure. and make some money with it, yeah. which is fine if they didn't at some point in the process poke their nose and go, I don't think that's good. And it's like, well, what do you, you know, it was, you know, it happens every yeah. movie. Um, it's uh, like they always something. But, but I would say that, that this movie, it didn't happen. That's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's definitely a good thing. Yeah. Do you think there's a, 
I know you've talked about it recently and we've talked about it before. Do you think there's an, an R rated, uh, an R rated, uh, trip back to stay alive that, that is burning in your, in your head? Definitely. The, um, right. You know, Spyglass made the original, they were the ones who financed it. Disney distributed it. Spyglass got the rights back. And so I've been trying to track them down. We've talked about it before. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to track them, them down for years, the rights trying to go through Disney and Spyglass kind of disbanded and became partly became MGM. And then MGM shifted a couple years ago and Spyglass relaunched and their first movie was scream. And, um, with, so they bought the dimension library oh, okay. and their first release with, with Paramount was scream. Mm -hmm. And I was like, perfect. Like Paramount's just bought orphan and these guys know horror and, um, and so I spoke to them about it then, um, at the top of the year or something like that and February and they're all really excited about it. And I, I just, I had to go make that other movie, but, um, and so that's another one of those things that yeah. like, is, you know, talk to me in a week is that's such a, a wish fulfillment kind of movie mm -hmm. that once again, the original story just scratch the surface of how cool the concept could be. And these guys were like, you know, head of your time is, is a, it's a weird way to put it, but the movie just, it was not, people didn't think a movie about a video game was that big a deal. They didn't realize like the executives didn't realize how important video games. Yeah. What are. was it? What was about to happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Right. And that now like, they're like, nobody's going to watch people in a movie play a video game. Yeah. Well now on Twitch, people just watch people play video <laughs> exactly, games. Exactly. Exactly. At that time, you yeah. know, nobody was making money playing video games. No. Now people are making millions and millions of dollars like winning video game things. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the metaverse and and the fact that, you know, it's and the, but they realize it now. They're like, no, we see this is only going that direction even more. Yeah. And um and then, you know, you look at Stranger Things or even scream and even this new orphan orphan and like the kind of tone and the fun of the nostalgia and going back and taking the gloves off and doing things that are, that only were hinted at in the original. Yeah. And, um, I mean that fun and that wish fulfillment of you know, what stranger things is. It's just, you know, balls to the wall, horror, sci-fi. And, and I'm, you know, you're seeing them, pull out oh here's a flamethrower yeah. i'm just like yeah that's a scene from stay alive right yeah. you know yeah right. <laughs> where they go and they find all the weapons that's and, right and, that's right or, or would be mm -hmm. what i mean is right. like they, they did it they hinted at it and um so anyway there's just so much and and i feel like much of the cast would would want to be involved at least in some way um and then a whole new world and once again with the distance of time um you know by the time we would really make that movie it might be 20 years so you've literally got that phineas jimmy simpson's character had gotten a girl pregnant we didn't know it her daughter now his daughter is now 19 years old mm -hmm. and she's like the lead in the movie maybe right <laughs> you know, who knows right. yeah 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 and um and it's like yeah she never had a father because he died because that game killed him yeah you know and um it's uh there's once again just a great world there to explore. Oh, 
Oh man! So I'm excited to you know all these things. Yes, yes. Oh, and all stuff, all stuff you've been such an integral part of creating, and that's that's amazing and amazing legacy that you you've already you've already laid out, which is awesome. Not not a lot of people can say that. So no, it's extraordinary, man. Well, thank you. Yes, fun dream come true. Well, congratulations on Orphan First Kill. Yeah. It's absolutely amazing. And everybody, go check it out. Have your mind blown. Watch this 90-minute magic trick. I love, I love that. It's <laughs> yeah. the best description ever. It's exactly what it is. Yes. There's so much joy in it. As, as horrifying as it is, there's so much joy in it. Delightful is definitely the, uh, the appropriate word for it, for sure. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Dude, we appreciate you coming here every time, man. Yes. It. Yeah. No, it's it's one of my favorite things about making releasing movies. It's talking to you guys. Oh, man. <laughs> well, that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know about that, yeah. but that made our day. No, we appreciate <laughs> awesome. it, man. All right. Thank you, man. Yes, yes. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, guys. Until next time. Dude, for sure. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 341. Special thanks to our guest, William Brent Bell. You can follow him on Instagram at William Brent Bell. At time of release, Orphan First Kill is in theaters, VOD, and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Production tracks for this one provided by the good folks at Power Man 5000. Till next time, this is Trev for Lauren and Leo and the Boo Crew saying... Sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP. Creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy, disturbing, and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.